for the first time in a few months, I get to say, what is going on? I want to welcome you from Half Court. I am your host, Sean Murphy, and today I am joined by my favorite Marquette Dirk Nowitzki, Troy Sergi. Troy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Sean. Good to be back. Oh, dude, it's good to have you back, man. And not only to have you back, but to have you as a regular each and every week, you and me, dude. We get to hop on this microphone and talk basketball, man. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> just all the jokes we've made back and forth and all the references we made uh, just from our episode about our, our shooting Mount Rushmore and all the stuff that we talked about. Man, we have so much to catch up on. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous. We really do. Uh, this past uh, three months of basketball has really changed uh, – Changed the league and rocked our world as Pistons fans. So I look forward to uh, getting into it, Sean. A couple of exciting things that's happened. There's been some things that have gone down, I've heard. Um, well, before we get into that, Troy, I call you um, my Marquette Dirk Nowitzki because um, you were literally Dirk Nowitzki on a basketball court. And it freaks me out every time I watch it. It's like, it's like I see glimpses of Dirk. I see glimpses of Ursan Ilyasova. I'm not talking talent level. No, no offense, Troy. No offense. <laughs> but the way that you play, uh, my favorite clip of you, and we'll have to show this at some point on the podcast, is uh, you drain a three and you're running back down the court and you just trip and biff it. And then, like, you get right back up and start playing intense defense. What was uh, what was that situation? Like, what was going on? Was that on the news? Oh, my gosh. I have so much to tell you about that situation. So, <laughs> um, the biggest rivalry in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is two schools, uh, Marquette Redmen and Nagani Miners. And Ooh, uh, Nagani Miners? Nagani Miners. Those are the two. Nagani? Nagani. Oh, Nagani. Okay. Nagani. Nagani. Okay, Nagani. Nagani. So okay, uh, Nagani always had a powerhouse team. They were class C state champions Naturally. in 2000. So um, that city lives, breathes, talks, walks basketball. And Marquette's more of a hockey town, if anything. But yeah. we're way bigger than Nagani. But Nagani cares about basketball like Canada cares about hockey. So um, it's it just with our with our size and their love for the game, there's always been a rivalry and uh, there's a thing called the Victor's cup. Uh, unfortunately uh-huh. I was 0-2 in the, in the Victor's cup my senior year. Um, but uh, so the Victor's cup, so it's a little trophy. It gets, it gets passed down each game. So if Nagani wins, they keep the trophy. And then if Marquette wins, they give the trophy back to us. And then if they win, we give the trophy back. So it's, it's, the, it's this ongoing trophy that, that each team holds no matter, based on who won the last game. So it's, it's the, Fourth game of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's at Nagani. Uh, and, uh, man, this team was way better than us. Way better than us. They had uh, one one player who went on to play for Michigan Tech University, another player, uh, Bay Community College. So they had two college players on the court um, playing against us. So they were way more talented than we were that that year. And right. uh, we were keeping it close and, and just on their home court. And it was the fourth quarter with about three minutes left. We were down by three. Uh, my teammate. Oh, so this was a big shot. Oh, my goodness. It was huge. Uh, we're down by three with three minutes left. Uh, my teammate, Trey McFerrin, uh, was driving down, and he passed me the ball in the left corner. 
I'll never forget it because I was right next to, uh, I was right behind, well, my bench was right behind me and the Marquette crowd. We had a huge student section, probably 300 people traveled to Nagani for that game to cheer us on. And I remember just catching the ball and I was wide open. Now, granted, I just hit three threes before that. So why I was (laughs) wide open, I don't know, but I was wide open. And when I caught the ball, I knew I was going to shoot and I knew I was going to make it. And right. guess what? I shot it. I made it. Nothing but net. I literally couldn't hear myself think after because of how loud our student section was and how loud our bench was. And I ran by the court. I'm sorry. I ran past half court mm-hmm. and I just, I just leaped with so much adrenaline and excitement. And I came down, not on my feet, but on my rear end. And I, I, I just <laughs> fell. And I remember, I remember trying to hold my fall. I put both, uh, both hands on the floor, and it hurt. Like if you watch that clip, knowing that oh, when you get up, I make this fall, face. Dude. I, I make this face, and it's not. Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed. It's, oh my gosh, my hand hurts because of how hard I hit the ground on my hand. And uh, one of the Ghani players said, "Stay down there, you bad word." And um, so (laughs) you bad word. Stay down there, you bad word was what he said to me when I fell uh, and got back up. What letter Um, in the alphabet does that word start with, Troy? Oh, uh, that's just say a P. Um, (laughs) Stay down there, you P word. Um, And I got right back up and they went on like probably an eight to two run in the last three minutes to to beat us by probably six. So, um, yeah, it was it was a it was an awesome shot. Uh, both uh, big big Upper Peninsula news stations, TV Six News and ABC Ten, caught the moment. Both have hilarious commentating. Uh, uh, Sam Ali was a news sports reporter, and he called me Troy Pretty Boy Sergi. He says I, I I tied the three, but I should have tied my shoes. Um, uh, Mike Ludlam on TV Six News said. Uh, darn those size 13 shoes because uh, he made a joke earlier a couple months earlier in cross-country season when I accidentally spiked one of my teammates in the race because my shoes were too big and then a few months later during basketball I fell on my rear end so he made a joke back in cross-country about me stabbing my teammate and in basketball he got to make a similar (laughs) joke about me falling so uh, that's the story behind that shot I think I've shown all my friends that uh, kind of my claim to fame. Uh, that was a Thursday night game and going to school that Friday morning was a little bit on the embarrassing side, I'll admit, because of how many people saw that well, clip on the news and that were there at the game. Um, it, it was it was a, a high school memory I will never forget. Well, dude, here's the thing. No one could take away from you the fact that you drilled that shot. And right. on top of that, like, here's the thing. My favorite part of that clip, because I could tell it hurt, like, it didn't look like a like a soft landing by any means, but, like, you just get right back up and you're right on the perimeter, like getting hands and faces, like trying to defend and stop them. Like I'll get out, man, dude. It's like one of my favorite clips. And dude, that just makes me, it's funny that you talked about like the UP news. Cause I was up there like a couple weeks ago with my family. I'll just say this and we'll actually talk basketball. I promise. But dude, I've never seen a news station more stale in my life than the upper peninsula. Like, like morning or like evening news like at grand rapids it's like local shooting happened at wesco gas station seven people dead and then like up in the up it's like local squirrel found in tree 
<laughs> he found he found a nut. Like that's that's the difference. And I just go up there. I'm like, man, this is so peaceful. I like it. Oh man. But no, hey, that's a that's a great clip. And don't worry, I'll have I'll have plenty of embarrassing stories to add on top of this. I mean, at least you got to play high school basketball. You know, I <laughs> you shot cut in middle school. But <laughs> But enough about that, because this is from Half Court Reach, and every week, me and Troy are going to be talking all things NBA basketball, specifically NBA basketball. And today, Troy, you and I, we got a lot to talk about. But first, um, you can find me on Twitter, at West 255 Troy, where can people find you? So I made a mistake last time, Sean. I met, I said my Instagram handle instead. I said Troy.Sergi is mm. where you can find me. Well, you can actually find me on TroySergi44. That is my Twitter handle, TroySergi44. TroySergi44. You'll see a lot, lot of good Pistons and, I don't know, some some politics, some religion stuff on there. So that's me, TroySergi44. You also see uh, Rocky and Drago on the on the on the Yeah, Twitter my cover banner. photo is uh, 15th and final round of that incredible 1985 matchup in moscow russia of of heavyweight champion rocky balboa throwing the last punch at uh russian challenger ivan drago so definitely catch that if you uh if you want i've only seen the first rocky movie but anyway troy um (laughs) um troy you brought up an interesting topic that i think would be a pretty fun little icebreaker before we get into the truly important stuff because um you know Here's the thing. This is this isn't a team specific podcast, but there's gonna be piston specific talk a lot. And that's just the way that this is gonna happen. And I'm just gonna be upfront with it. If you've listened to episodes before, you should know this by now. And Troy, you had an interesting question, and I'm gonna go ahead and let you ask it. All right, Sean. I would like to uh, spend a little bit of time discussing with you. And we can agree or disagree on, on some. I'm not sure how we're going to do this, this bouncing back, but we're going to do the Mount Rushmore of underrated Detroit Pistons in the 2010 to 2020 era. So the, okay. ninth, the 2010 decade uh, to, from starting in 2010 and ending in 2020 of the most underrated Detroit Pistons. Top four, Mount Rushmore. Let's go. Um. Oh man. So you added a quantifier to this that I was not ready for (laughs) because I was going like, Oh, I got names. Believe me. I was, I was in like, Oh, four. I was in like, Oh, six, Oh, seven. I'm like, I'm talking like Darvin ham and, and Lindsay Hunter. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to Lindsay Hunter, but that wasn't the question, Sean. I know I was, dude, Dude, I was getting ready to talk Carlos Arroyo. Like, oh man, that is so. Gotta spike things up. This past ten years has been tough for us, but we gotta have some fun in it. Dude, you you really spice things up. All right, well, you know what? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and do it then. So I'm gonna start my Mount Rushmore. I think what we'll do is we'll just go player by player. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't make this too long, but um, I'm gonna start my list with Brandon Jennings. Um, Brandon Jennings pre. Achilles tear actually was having a really good season with the Pistons back in 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. 
he actually was playing pretty well for us. Now, here's the thing. In hindsight, terrible trade, right? Um, because there was a certain player that we sent to Milwaukee in that exchange <laughs> for Brandon Jennings that is currently playing for an NBA championship. Um, his name is Chris Middleton. The one, <laughs> the, you know, the one draft pick we hit on in the past 15 years um, goes on to become one of the best players in the league. And we didn't even know it. Um, but it's fine. Um, it's fine. Um, but here's the thing. Before he tore his Achilles, Brandon Jennings was actually playing pretty solid for us. He um, he still had some of that athleticism that made him a standout rookie in, in Milwaukee. Um, he was a pretty good shooter. He was a fun ball hand, handler. And him with Andre Drummond, the pick and roll, them playing together, we never got to see um, what that could have looked like if they developed more over time. And I don't think I don't think Brandon Jennings was ever going to be a cornerstone piece of our franchise. I'm not trying to pretend anything that isn't because I mean you know let's just be honest. Brandon Jennings, um, he came in the league, everyone thought he was going to be a star, and then he just fizzled out, you know. So, um, but he did make it enjoyable to watch him play, and he did give it his all. So I'm going to start my Mount Rushmore with Brandon Jennings. Awesome, Sean. Yeah, many things I could add about Brandon Jennings. Uh, just a fun, a fun uh, player to watch. He's a guy that really could get you 15 points in a quarter if you wanted to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, j- just a, a, a flash of lightning from the bench. Not comparing him at all to his time in Detroit, but uh, Derek Rose played a lot similar type of spark just just a point guard who wanted to prove something wanted to go out there Mm -hmm. and make an effort for his team Uh, but I'm going to have to go for my second Mount Rushmore to a point guard former Georgia Tech yellow jacket five foot ten will the thrill Bynum will the thrill Bynum do he yeah that's actually a really good one because he did a lot of he, he was he was kind of like in that bridging gap from when we were good to when we were not good not yeah not good um man, he was so fun to watch dude he had just such a burst of athleticism yeah will will Bynum was fun um i remember watching uh, must have been maybe in 7th grade it was pistons and hawks in Atlanta and they were killing us the whole game that's when they had joe johnson josh smith Mm -hmm. Uh, They were, they were a playoff team. They were definitely like a fourth or fifth seed that year. And um, they were killing us the whole game. And then we somehow threw in a Ross, uh, a a five, or I I can't remember all five. I remember four, at least out of the five, we threw in Will Bynum, Austin Day, Charlie Villanueva, uh, Tayshaun Prince and Jason Maxiel. I remember the five, they threw in those five in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And somehow we came back from like, 20 or 19 down to a tie game, but Will Bynum scored 26 points in the fourth quarter and brought mm-hmm. us back. Granted, we went to overtime, lost in overtime, but that was a fun game for a 12-year-old Troy to watch because of mm-hmm. how well Will Bynum was playing. And it wasn't just that game. I remember that uh, back in the 2009-10 season, it was like the 10th game of the year pretty early on, and Will Bynum dunked over big six foot eleven Tyson Chandler. Um, and, and, uh, and that was awesome. Just this, Dude, that's this guy, back. five foot ten, and he's been doing a lot of work now with Killian Hayes. I don't know if you knew that, Sean, but yeah, Killian, yeah. 
Killian Hayes and, and Will Bynum have been doing a lot of workouts together in Chicago. Well, not so only Will, that, Bynum, but... Will, Will Bynum is someone who just had a heart for the game of basketball. Oh, and when sure. he was on that court, he would give you – people overuse the term 110%. But Will Bynum gave you 110% every single second he was on the basketball court. Oh, he, he, was, he was such an effort player, 100%. I, li- I like that pick. Um, my next one, and you're um, you're going to think I'm cheating the system, but I want you to hear me out, okay? Okay. My second person is Blake Griffin. And Ooh. the reason, the reason is because I'm taking a long game approach on this, okay? People, I think, are going to look back at Blake Griffin on the Pistons, and ultimately what they're going to think of is disappointment and wasted potential, right? Sure. It was, they're going to think, Oh man, that trade really just put us in mediocrity. All we got was a swept playoff series out of it. He was injured. He left. He went to the he went to the he went to the Nets and started dunking again. Um, what, where was that? But the thing is, is that I think ultimately, I think not only was Blake Griffin underrated as a piston as far as all time for things that he was doing, um, especially in his uh, renaissance season in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Um, but also just, I think he's going to be glossed over quickly in Pistons history. And so I think from that standpoint, I think we have been quick to not acknowledge Blake Griffin. And I think that there are certainly some cases that you can make of things that, we wish could have been handled differently, but you know what? The Pistons got the number one pick and we're going to talk about that a lot later and we're going to celebrate. But ultimately Blake leaving was the best for Blake and it was the best for us. And when he was here and when he was healthy, mm-hmm. he gave it his all and he didn't ask to come to Detroit. So he totally didn't have to, but right. he gave us a playoff run that we'll never forget. And he put up quite a performance that year. So Blake Griffin's yeah. my second. Yeah, Blake Griffin was great. All-star, as I'll have to say. With mm-hmm. one word to describe Blake Griffin in Detroit, all-star. I uh, think in 2018, 2019, I think he was a top 10 player in the league. Oh, me too. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Probably mm-hmm. nine through 10, but still, that's oh. still top 10. <laughs> yeah, I don't say top 10 as if he's at the top of the list. He's at the <laughs> bottom of that list. But right. hey, he's still, to me, at the time, he belonged on that list. Correct. 100%. I remember watching a game um, very shortly before the All-Star game. And, you know, George Blaha and Greg Kelso were talking. And George said, um, and we do have one Piston playing in the All-Star game, Blake Griffin. And then Greg said, George, if Blake wasn't an All-Star this year, they might as not, they might as well not even play the game. And I couldn't agree more. If Blake oh, yeah, Griffin wasn't an All-Star that, that year, they might as well not even had an All-Star game. Yeah, he was the definition. He was having the definition of an all-star season, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, Troy, who's your next? Who's your next piston on this list? My last and next piston on this list to complete the Mount Rushmore is the 39th pick in the 2009 NBA draft from and Sweden. Guess, from Jonas, Sweden, Jonas Jerebko. Dude, so Jonas Jerebko. I'm going to let you share your thoughts first and then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. I'll chime in. You deserve to talk about Jonas Drebko. So this is what happened, Sean. It was the 2009, 2010 season. 
and Rip Hamilton got injured pretty early on in the season. And um, that was an awkward year of half rebuild, half trying to win. But we won 27 games that year. So uh, new coach, John Kuster, it was not working out in Detroit for anyone. And then your, your captain and your, your, your best player, Rip Hamilton, goes down in game number five or so. And you're left with – and Austin Day wasn't doing anything worthy of starting. So they threw in their second-round pick, Jonas Jurebko, and he just started playing lights out out um mm-hmm. he had an incredible game against Carmelo and the Nuggets where they actually beat the Nuggets that year he guarded Carmelo and held them under I want to say 25 um uh that would have been a, a December 2009 game and Jonas Jarebko just played 35 minutes a night that season and mm-hmm. yes we only won 27 games but yeah I think I mean I, I want to say he was second team all rookie that year but he was second team all rookie with the 39th pick in the draft. And um, Jonas Jurebko, that season alone, in my opinion, now I, I don't know, you may disagree, but that season alone, his rookie season is what made him ultimately a 10-year player in this league. Like Jonas Jurebko played, I think, four good years in Detroit, never really had as good of a year as his rookie year, like when he was starting mm-hmm. and, and getting 35 minutes and getting, you know, nine or 10 points a game. Um, but that rookie season led him with the confidence and the potential, um, to, you know, be a somewhat of a role player on Boston's team, you know, when they were making playoff runs Mm -hmm. in in the mid two thousands with Isaiah Thomas and early, even rookie Jason Tatum. He was on that bench for golden state. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that on the bench for golden state. So really he was able to do that. Um, and by the way, Sean, first Swedish NBA player in NBA history. Wow. Go ahead. Yeah. What do you think about Jonas? Yeah. Um, Jonas Jurebko. It's hard for me to look at Jonas Jurebko and think positive feelings because to me, that was the beginning of the end or that was the true signal of the end of a guard. Um, but what I will say about Jonas Jurebko is he, is he played, he played his ass off for us. There's no, there's, there's no better way to say it. He went out there and he worked hard every single night. Um, you know, four years in Detroit of all losing and just, just, you know, difficult situation to be in, but um, you know what? He came in, he was often the number one scoring option or asked yes. to be the number one yes. scoring option, yes. um, which for the 39th pick is not a common thing. And um, he was kind of just that like versatile three and D wing that, um, that could, you know, that could make jump shots that could reliably defend multiple positions. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, obviously he's not going to end up, you know, as like a, as like a thought about player a whole lot, but, um, I mean, listen, man, he's definitely somebody that, um, you know, when you look at underrated Pistons players or guys that we don't really talk about a whole lot, he's definitely on there as someone that we should definitely give some credit to because he did, uh, he did get us through some difficult years. And, uh, I would like to throw a couple honorable mentions. Um, one first honorable mention and, uh, you know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this because, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about some fun stuff. This is, this is fun, but I mean, you know, the finals, I'm just salivating over. Um, two, two honorable mentions. Bruce Brown, Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, yeah, I have um, no problem with that. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie, when he did come in, um, I just loved watching that guy work in the gym and just work hard. I thought he was going to be a success, and he did become a success. 
Um, and then um, Bruce Brown, um, you know what, man? He came in and he, he started almost instantly in his rookie year and went out there, played deep minutes, was asked to do a very difficult thing. And I think he's going to help Brooklyn to win a championship next year. So um, excited for him on that. But um, we'll talk about, talk about that another time because right now, I don't want to talk about champions in the next year. We might have a champion crowned as of, as of this recording and when the, as of this recording tomorrow, but when this posts tonight. So Troy, what's been your takeaway from the finals? Like what's, uh, what's surprised you? Um, what, what have you been happy with? What have you been longing for? What's, uh, how are you feeling about the finals right now? The Bucks, the Suns, two teams that, haven't won a championship in 50 plus years duking it out for their first ring. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of things, Sean, actually, uh, you know, when I found out that uh, of course the, the Suns beat the Clippers and the Bucks beat the Hawks and both teams were going to the finals. I was like, man, I love both of these teams. I love oh, yeah. Chris Paul. I love Devin Booker. I love Giannis. I love Chris Middleton. I have family members in Arizona, Phoenix, Milwaukee is darn close to my hometown, Marquette, Michigan. Uh, I don't know who to root for. I want both teams to win. Normally in the Super Bowl with football, you want both teams to lose, right? Uh, I want both teams to win. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of, lot of reflecting. I, it's more fun when you're cheering for a team. And I decided in game one that I was going to cheer for Phoenix. And I cheered for Phoenix in game one and game two. But when I saw that Bucks crowd in game three, mm-hmm. and especially game four, I changed in a heartbeat. And I said, go Bucks, <laughs> go. Fear the deer. And what happens in game three and four? The Bucks win. And then game five, I was riding on that high of how much fun that Milwaukee team was and cheering for them. So mm-hmm. game five, I cheered for Milwaukee, and guess what? They won there. So I've been five and zero oh this finals as far as who I'm cheering for. Um, man, that man, isn't that amazing that you that you <laughs> that you chose the winning horse, and so you've been riding this good vibe the entire time. I have been riding this good vibe the entire time, John. Um, but uh, takeaways and and <laughs> you're you're laughing. Uh, takeaways mm. and uh, surprises this finals. I would say the the playing of, of Devin Booker, I, I would have thought Chris Paul might have had a little stronger of a series. And, of course, he still made an impact. But Devin Booker, if the Suns somehow pull off the miracle tomorrow and then on uh, Friday night and they win, I mean, Devin Booker, hands down, will be the MVP of the finals. He's, I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know he's amazing, and I, I've been a Devin Booker fan a long time, but Devin Booker has been playing – the definition of his hard out um, scoring 40 plus in, in a couple of the games. And um, so Devin Booker, I, as, as crazy as it sounds, might have to be a surprise of how well he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the biggest surprise has just been the Milwaukee Bucks in general um, to go. Be, it's so hard in any series, especially the finals to go, to be down Oh two and to come back and, and possibly win it. Um I can think of, uh, you know, remember that 2006 team of the, the Heat and the Mavs. Mavs went up 2-1 oh, yeah. pretty quick, and then in Miami won back four in a row uh, for Dwayne Wade's first championship. So 
um, it's been done. It's definitely been done uh, before. We've even known uh, a team not too long ago, five years to be exact, uh, who went down 3-1 and came back. Um, so, you know, these coming match to the finals isn't anything new or, or out of the ordinary, but the fact that they were able to turn it on so quickly. And uh, there's a lot of questions about Giannis, you know, coming into the finals with his injury and all that, but he's been playing out of this world. And um, I'll, I'll, a couple of days ago, I, I, the day before, or maybe the day of game four um, on, on ESPN, the take, they asked Kendrick Perkins, what does Giannis have to do to make the Bucks successful? And he says, you know what Giannis has to do? Giannis has to be Giannis. It, it's just that simple. Yep. Um, you know, it, when Giannis is Giannis, there's no stopping it. When he's when he tries to be Kevin Durant or even a LeBron James or whatever, it, it just doesn't work. But when Giannis just focuses on him, focuses on his teammates, focuses on playing the game of basketball and winning for his team, that's been the most success Milwaukee's had is when Giannis is able to do that. So um, it, it's crazy that my two biggest surprises are the team's best players, but Devin Booker and Giannis have been more so Giannis has been my biggest surprises and takeaways. And just those two are making this finals so enjoyable to watch. Um, wasn't able to catch game two, uh, but I was cheering for them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yes, um, that's been my takeaway from the finals so, so far, Sean, but uh, anything yes. I missed or that you'd like to, to, to piggyback off of. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I have everything pulled up right here, um, game logs from each game, and um, I'll share my screen with you here. Um, so essentially, there's a few things that stick out to me. Um, so first of all, um, I think an important thing to remember is that as of this time, you know, about uh, this time last week, um, or on July 6th, we didn't even know if Giannis was going to be playing in the finals. Um, he was listed as doubtful for game one. Um, but then he just worked his butt off to get ready for game one. And now it's like we forgot he injured his knee and bent Correct. it like a Slim Jim a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and he has truly, as you know, just to your point, it honestly has been observing a player really coming into his own and really coming into his game. And just progressively over the series, he just has looked more and more dominant and it just, there isn't an answer to it, you know? Um, but on top of that, I think the other thing just con contrasting is as Giannis has soared and as he has really taken over this series, um, Chris Paul and I, it breaks my heart to say this, has shrunk. Mm -hmm. He has really, um, I think it's a mixture of things. I think it's the fatigue. I think it's, um, I think it's the height of Milwaukee. Um, because really, if you watch these games, and, I, and I've, seen, I've seen every minute, it has been my favorite. It's been my favorite finals in a long time. It has been incredible. Um, they... Um, in game one, definitely Chris Paul's best game of the series. Um, you know, if you look at his stats, he went out there, he scored 32 points, nine assists. Um, he, he only had two turnovers. 
Um, he just he did literally whatever he wanted in the pick and roll and just completely took over the game. Contrast that with game four um, when Devin Booker went out there and gave you 42 points. Um, Chris Paul gave you 10. <laughs> 10 points, five turnovers, seven assists, which is still good. But listen, man, Chris Paul has been in the league for 16 years. Yeah. This is, this is, and I don't think this is a controversial thing to say. This is his one chance. You are, this is going to be Chris Paul's only chance at a championship. I fully agree. Fully the agree. Only, the only way that Chris Paul has another shot at going, at going for a championship is if he signs a veteran minimum in a couple of years and comes off the bench for the Lakers. That is it. Because to me, because to me, this Phoenix Suns team, they have been a great story and they have been awesome to watch. They absolutely deserve to be here. But they're not coming out of the West next year. Not with, not with a healthy Anthony Davis, not with LeBron coming back, not with, you know, the Clippers, hopefully Kawhi, you know, with his ACL situation, hopefully he can come back next year and have a good season. Um, with Utah being angry about getting knocked out in the second round with Denver getting back at health. If the West is too dominant, man, listen, we still got to, we still have an off season of free agency and trades yet to happen. And there's always, there's always something. So um, if you're Phoenix, you have to strike while strike while the iron's hot and they've had opportunities to, you know, to your point past two games, Devin Booker's put up a 42 and 40. You can't ask him to be doing anything else. You can't. And they're squandering that opportunity, you know? And I think some of it has to do with injuries, um, you know, with, with Dario Saric going down, tearing his ACL in game one, um, losing some of that depth in the big man position, DeAndre Ayton getting in foul trouble. Um, you know, the, the only good option you have is to either play Crowder at the five, which is such a massive disadvantage against Giannis or Frank Kaminsky at the five, who is just Frank Kaminsky like, you know, um, definitely not who you want on the court. Um, to me, that's been, that's been the story of the series, man, is, um, to your point, Giannis has just taken over and progressively has looked more and more unstoppable. Um, when it mattered most, um, Milwaukee just because in game four and game five, towards the end of the game, Phoenix had the lead. And yeah. both games squandered it at the end and got their hearts crushed by Giannis with that incredible block in game four against DeAndre Ayton, which has to be one of the greatest finals blocks of all time. Unreal. And then that alley-oop dunk over, um, over Chris Paul, which was just a dagger. And uh-huh. I remember watching that alley-oop, and that to me was one of the biggest blunders in finals history to me is the fact that Chris Paul fouled Giannis on that, on that alley-oop dunk. <laughs> because here's the thing. If Giannis makes that, makes that alley-oop, which he does, it was already in the rim – Chris Paul fouls, you're sending him to the free throw line to get a fourth point. Whereas you could have inbounded it and gone for the tie. 
But instead, you squander that. You let Giannis dunk it. He goes to the free throw line and he misses it. But gets his own rebound. And then your chances are crushed. John, one thing I would like to add, though, to that is your court awareness. I mean, granted, this is the NBA. Your court awareness should be high. But you're you're not thinking that if you're Chris Paul. I know you're sitting there. I know you're thinking that watching the game. But, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. But your court awareness, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about how do I defend this play. But here's here's the thing with that though, because I agree with you. But the problem is, is by the time Chris makes contact, he is under the rim. Giannis is over the rim, and already has the ball in the basket. I understand court awareness. I understand like you know that's a very difficult judgment to make, and I'm not claiming that I'm the one that can make that judgment. <laughs> but, but here's the thing: if there's anybody on that court that I expect as a head coach to make that, to make, have that awareness and to not make that mistake. Because it's one thing if Mikel Bridges makes that error, right? Yeah. It's a different thing if the guy that makes that mental error in that moment is Chris Paul. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's that to, right. Because that to me is a potentially finals losing mistake. That is, that is a moment, two games in a row, mind you, where Chris Paul makes a, a lapse, an error in the final minutes. Game four just fumbles the ball. Game five causes a foul that gets them out of scoring, out of scoring position to force overtime. To give them a second chance, you know? And yep. here's the thing. They very well could have gotten the ball, missed that shot, whatever but here's the thing you didn't even give yourself the opportunity you know and so when i'm looking at it and like you know sure like at at the end of the day um there's a lot of things that happened before that that very well could have prevented them getting in that situation with chris being under the rim um and and here's the other thing that play started with an incredible defensive play by drew holiday stripping the ball off of devin booker yeah that was everything Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm that was a championship play. 100%. From a guy who's been having a terrible series from the <laughs> yeah, offensive yeah. end. He, he, he's terrible. just disappeared. He's disappeared. Until last night, though. Or, or not last night, uh, Sunday. Um, until Sunday. That is last Saturday. night. Any, anyway, when, whenever this game took place. Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> it was Saturday night that game took place. Um Drew Holiday, um, in game five, until on Saturday night, that's when the game happened. Come on, Sean, get yourself together. Um, When that game happened, he went out there, and he gave them exactly what they needed. He had 27 points, 13 assists. You know, he, he went out there, got them seven rebounds. He got three steals. He played on every aspect of the ball. And last, and, and on that Saturday night, was when they finally had their three stars, Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton, go off and provide and give them exactly what they need, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were asking ourselves last year when they picked up Drew Holiday, 
is this a championship piece? Is this a championship roster? And right now we're figuring out that that answer very well come to, come uh, Tuesday night. We could be seeing them lifting the Larry O'Brien trophy in front of their fans in Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely could. One point you said about uh, 10 minutes ago that I, I really wanted to hop on was, it, you know, how difficult, borderline impossible, it's going to be for Phoenix to come back here next year to the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I fully, fully agree with that. I'm going to switch, I'm going to switch gears here to the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I think it's definitely going to be harder for Phoenix to, to go back that, and as it will be Milwaukee, but I'm going to argue too, it's going to be pretty darn hard for Milwaukee to come back with how stacked Brooklyn is going to be too. Mm-hmm. So both teams are kind of playing for their, their only shot. And, and that's another reason why I mentioned to you earlier why I had a hard time picking who I wanted to root for in this series because I wanted both teams to win so badly. I knew Chris Paul would never come back to the finals. And if so, like you said, it'd be a veteran minimum. Um, And I knew Giannis, Chris Middleton, great names, but that's not Kevin Durant or James Harden. You know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, both teams, I think, are playing for a shot. Going into the series, I think you're right. I think after this series, is 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 there anyone right now that is a better player in the world than Giannis Antetokounmpo? Right now, right now on July nineteenth, two thousand twenty-one, no, no one, not a single soul, no one. You know, like he, here's like people keep talking about like yeah, he can't shoot it. You know what I mean? Like, just imagine how dangerous he is if he could shoot the ball. Here's the thing. He can kind of shoot the ball. <laughs> Go he ahead. can kind of shoot the ball. But more importantly, there's a scarier part of that, of that scenario that people, aren't, that people aren't realizing. Because people are realizing, you know, there's like the half glass empty approach of imagine how good he would be if he could shoot the ball. Let's flip it. He's as good as he is without a reliable jumper. Yeah. How scary is that? Yeah. That is terrifying. Yeah. That he can get down in the rim and he can, you can plan for it. You know exactly what Giannis is looking to do. And you can't do a damn thing about it. And that (laughs) is the terrifying thing about Giannis is that he will just go out there and he will just get exactly what he's looking for. And he's been defended the best he's been defended this entire playoffs by DeAndre Ayton. And it hasn't been close. And he's been that good. Yeah, yeah. A statement that really makes me mad is when NBA fans are say, oh, imagine uh, Ben Simmons with a jump shot. Imagine what that looks like. Bro, look at Giannis Antetokounmpo. That is a man who has all the athletic ability. I, I literally don't even want to think about Ben Simmons when I know how good Giannis is with like Ben Simmons is mm-hmm. a poor man's Giannis. Mm-hmm. Here, and here's, here, here's the thing. And, and, and this will be, you know, because I do um, in, the, in, the, in the coming weeks, I do want to talk Ben Simmons and I do want to dive into him. Um, because man, what a topic that is. And I think right now that is the story of the off season. Um, here's the thing. And here's the difference between Giannis and Ben Simmons. 
both can't shoot the ball, right? Giannis is definitely a better shooter. Don't get me wrong. Giannis is definitely a better shooter, but they are both known as players that need to develop shooting, right? Correct. Giannis, Giannis tries. Ben Simmons doesn't. Yeah, it's that simple. Yeah, he, they, they both work on in the offseason, I'm sure. And I'm sure Ben Simmons puts in the hours. But here's the thing. If you look at their chart, it, 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 not their not their chart, but if you look at their shot charts, <laughs> look at their shot charts. At least Giannis is taking shots. If he's open, he's going to try shooting a three. Yeah. You know what? He's going to make it sometimes. But what's been especially beneficial to the Bucks is that He's just realizing that he can just come into his own. Don't force a shot if it's not there. I mean, you know, game five, he put up 32 points. He shot 60% from the field. He went over one from three. And you know what? That's okay. Because they didn't need it. They don't need Giannis to shoot the three. They need Giannis to be Giannis, to your point. And oh boy, has Giannis been Giannis. Yeah, yeah, it's that simple. It's that simple, Sean. Mm-hmm. Now, another aspect of this finals I want to talk about real quick before we move on to, I think, what you and I uh, will consider our favorite topic this summer. Um, I've j- This has just been on my mind all playoffs and I think is just showing itself in, the, in, these, in these finals. Um, the past few years, there's been a narrative in the league that there are two dying attributes to the NBA game, right? Mm-hmm. Big men in the mid-range jump shot. Yeah. Yeah. And what have we seen all playoffs? Thriving big men and mid-range jump shots. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, man, I'm so glad you brought that up because how many times have we talked about that if uh, Taco Fall was in the 2009 or 2008 NBA draft, he'd be the second pick in the draft, but instead mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a late 50s pick, right? So in that aspect, yes. We had a, we had a 6'10 sharpshooter as our MVP this year in Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I think it's the traditional big man the Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. the, <laughs> yeah. the no, no, that's, Drummond. <laughs> yes, now that's the important caveat. Don't get me wrong. The traditional big man of what it used to be defined as is no more. Not at Correct. all. You yeah. know, like Frank Kaminsky, he would have been a top five pick in the draft back in like 2006, you know. Um, now he's an irrelevant bench player on the Suns, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that even though the traditional big man is dead, the big man is very well alive because it's evolved. And it, it could be so many different things. Yeah. On one end of the spectrum, it could be Nikola Jokic, who can just, who is a wizard with the basketball, right? We, he could do so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, shameless plug, Chris Nobla and I did an entire episode talking about big men. We talked about, uh, we talked about Joel Embiid. We talked about Nikola Jokic. We just broke down their games. Great listen. Go check it out. Um, one of my favorite episodes we've done to this podcast. Um, so there's that side of the spectrum. And then on the other side, there's Giannis, there's DeAndre Ayton, there's Bam Adebayo, there's James Wiseman coming up. Just these rim running rim protectors that can also stretch the floor. 
And I mean, Giannis, I mean, he's just, he's his own anomaly. He's his own category, but you know, listen, man, big man's not going anywhere. It's evolving. And and the next, uh, the next little topic there, you mentioned mid-range shooting. I mean, Mm -hmm. basketball has always been a game of spacing. Like when I think Mm -hmm. of basketball, it's about spacing. It's about proper spacing and getting off the right jump shot and getting off uh, what can get your team the most points, but it's about doing it right. It's about moving Mm -hmm. the ball and spacing things out. So, you know, I think, you know, with the Stephen Curry area, you know, that that was more three-point shooting. And, um, you know, I guess, I don't know, LeBron James, I think when people think of him, the first thing they might think of is, you know, dunking or whatever. So in Mm -hmm. that aspect, people aren't really talking about the mid-range game. But if you look at the college game, mid-range is still used quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you look at our finals run, right, back in 04, who did we have that really led us there? Rip Hamilton in in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways against Indiana. I mean, he's kind of the king of mid-range shooting and coming off Mm -hmm. screens and pickpocketing. So, um, yeah, the mid-range game, I I never really thought it was dead, but I feel like, you know, your traditional or casual basketball fan never really thought of your mid-range. But those who really care about the game like Mm -hmm. us and and spend time watching it, I don't know if the mid-range has ever really been dead. Yeah, I don't think it's been, I don't, I don't know, you know, it's never necessarily been dead, but it's never been at a lower stock value. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, when you get to this time of the playoffs and when you get to the finals, it's about being able to score at all three levels of the, of the court, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and here's the thing. Yes. It, you know, you're going to have the Bucks and the Suns. They're going out there. They're shooting 30 to 43 pointers a night, which is insane. And the league is absolutely still about three-point shooting. Don't get me wrong. But the superstars that are going out there, the likes of Devin Booker, his ability to shoot from the mid-range, especially difficult shot making that we haven't seen at such a high level since Kobe Bryant. Um, And then Chris Middleton, his mid-range ability, his ability to create his own shot, um, his shooting in the fourth quarter. You know, listen, man, if, if you think that having a mid-range jump shot in this league is a detriment, you are heavily mistaken because at the end of the day, that's a weapon that's going to win you a championship. Yep. Fully agree. Fully agree. And, and so, the crossover mid-range game, we saw, you know, point guard, Allen Iverson was, was big in that. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I think for a point guard aspect of, of being able to cross up and Chris shoot Paul. it and, and, and yeah, Chris Paul, another huge one right there. Um, and, you know, dishing it out to your wings in the, in the right hand or left hand corner. I mean, that's, that that's basketball. That won't, that won't disappear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and the one last thing I want to say about the finals, there's never been more parody in the NBA than there is right now. Explain that for a second. There has never been more consistent across the board unpredictability and surprises in, a, in an NBA playoffs in my lifetime. I don't think there's been my bracket for the playoffs got busted worse than my college basketball bracket. If you would have told me going into this year that we would see the likes of Trey young in the, in the Eastern conference finals, we'd see Devin Booker in the NBA finals that we would see, the likes of Philadelphia 76ers getting sent home in the second round 
and they just got outplayed. They played a team that was better than them um, just across the board. And, and let alone LeBron James getting eliminated in the very first round of the playoffs. Kevin and, Durant and, getting out in the second. <laughs> this was the first time in over a decade that we had an NBA finals that didn't include Steph Curry or LeBron James. Yeah, yeah over last, a decade. The last time we had an NBA Finals without either of those teams, can you tell me which which year that was, Troy? Do you know? 2010. Yep, Dwight Howard and the Magic versus Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. Yep. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. That was 2009. This would have been Lakers and Celtics in 2010. Oh, that's right. That's right. I always get those mixed up. I always thought for some reason that the Lakers and Celtics played each other back to back, but that's not true because the Celtics got stopped by the magic in the middle of that. And then next year went back to the finals and that's when, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. You yep, got it, big right. fella. You got it. <laughs> you, you got a big fella. Oh man. So it has been absolutely so fun to watch no matter what happens um, next week. We'll talk about what happens because by that time, we will already be in the off season. Um, and by this time next week, though, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to think it's important. Don't get me wrong. We're going to definitely talk about it. But I think there's going to be a different topic on our mind. And that is what I want to shift to right now, because we are 10 days away from the as of recording. We are 10 days away. We'll, we'll be nine days away tomorrow from the NBA draft. And for the first time, Troy, in 51 years the Detroit Pistons are on the clock and are the first pick in the NBA draft Troy what comes to mind what comes to mind is peeing in a New Orleans restaurant uh fancy restaurant uh watching live the NBA um lottery and immediately calling Sean Murphy and hearing him go, oh, I'll call you back uh, because of how excited we were to know that our boy from Oklahoma State, Caden Cunningham, will be representing the Detroit Pistons in the Motor City for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least for the next seven to eight years. So, yeah, yeah let's uh... – Let's kind of do a quick overview that night, all right? So we go in, and we know that we have – that we're tied for the best odds for the first pick. However, I think you and I both went in with very tempered expectations. I was, yeah. hope, I was hoping for a top three pick, expecting a fifth pick. That's where my head was at. But as the night kept going on, I just had this weird feeling. I'm like, what if it happens, man? What if it happens? Because I, could, I couldn't picture Cade Cunningham for some reason in a different uniform than the Pistons for months. I literally was trying to picture him in a Rockets uniform, in a Timberwolves uniform. I was playing out all these scenarios in my head. I just couldn't see it. I couldn't. And so the fact that, that it happened and the fact that we had Ben Wallace representing us that special night, and as it kept going on, you know, as, as we kept hearing other names and it was like, okay, we're in the top five, we're in the top four. Oh, we're in the top. And before you can even process it, 
we are at a 50-50 shot for the number one pick. And at that point, I knew we got it. I knew we got it. And I, I reacted in a way. Um, I didn't know my voice could go this high. Um, and I couldn't recreate it if I even wanted to. I hope you can hear it when I play it on my microphone. Did you hear it, Troy? I did not. Sorry, Dang. Sean. But okay. I know exactly what it sounded like. Uh-huh. Got yep. mm-hmm. TikTok. You know what? You know what? Maybe I'll insert it in here. Maybe. You know, we'll see if I care that much. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, yeah, it was not to get too personal. But 2020 was a terrible year for everybody. Um, definitely the worst year of my life. And I've been through a lot over the past few months and over the course of the year. And I, I, it was just so nice to win one, man. And, and let alone in the fashion that it happened and in, and in the way that we just got to celebrate because good things, doesn't hap- good things don't happen to Detroit sports teams. That is our mentality, Right. We are, we, in the last 10 years, there's been no city that's experienced more losing. That's been consistently at the bottom of their leagues. No city in America has gone through more hardship with sports in the past 20 years in the city of Detroit. And now we get to draft the likes of Cade Cunningham, who is one of the, one of the consensus number one picks, one of the best prospects at the number one pick to come out over the course of, of the past 10 years. I am so excited, Troy. I am so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. You know, it's, it was so, it was just like, there were so many players. Like, I mean, I still love Jalen green and I was expecting three. I was expecting the third pick in the draft. Um, but yes, of course I had in the back of my mind that five could happen or six or whatever. But I, I was really expecting three. I was expecting Jalen Green, and I still love Jalen Green, and I, he'll mm-hmm. probably go to Cleveland or potentially maybe even uh, Houston, number two. But um, I, I, I didn't want two because I, I would rather have had three than two because I didn't want two because I, it, it would have just seemed like we were too close. And I knew we couldn't trade up for number one with two. So I, I really could care less about two. I just wanted one. I, right. I just wanted one, but I was expecting and hoping for three. Uh, but I really did not want two. And when I saw down to two, Houston and Detroit, I, just as you, Sean, I knew. I knew right there that mm-hmm. Houston would go two and that Big Ben Wallace would be putting his finger up for one. That's exactly what happened. And... It's so exciting because we look at years in the past, like even this past year, 2020, we look at the number one pick, Anthony Edwards. Great player. Excellent player. Going to do great things. But he's no mm-hmm. LaMelo Ball. Mm-hmm. Let's look at um, just years in even the past, the, too. Even the Zion draft, right? Zion yeah, Williamson. even the Zion amazing, draft. Amazing Zion talent. Williamson. Excellent player. We love Zion, but he's no John Moran. Um, right now, even in, right, right now, John Morant's a better player than Zion Williams. Oh, one hundred percent. Might not end up that way, um, but and, and Zion is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Generational talent. I think he has a higher ceiling than John Morant. But right now, John Morant's that guy. Yeah, and another one. <laughs> Twenty seventeen, right? Mark Alfonso Mark goes number one. He's no mm-hmm. Angelo. Or I'm sorry, he's no Lonzo Ball. Um, so what I'm getting at with no all Jason that Tatum. Is, so, yeah, he's no Jason Tatum. Yeah, that's the big one. Um, 
what I'm getting at with all of this is what we've seen in the past five, 10 years, even normally the number one pick is always a good player, but he's never the best player in the draft. But this year, I believe firmly that the number one pick will be the best player in the draft. And that's what's so exciting Mm -hmm. is that we get the first pick this year. It's not that I'm excited we get the first pick. It's that we get the first pick this year in a a once-in-a-generation talent of Kate Cunningham. That is what is exciting for me. Because, yeah, like I said, we very well could have gotten a great player in the past and miss out on the best player in the draft. But this year, I firmly believe we get the be- first pick and the best player in the draft. 100%. And that's what's so exciting. And, and, and a player like Jalen Green, I think is going to be an all-star. I truly firm, believe all my heart Jalen Green will be an all-star. But I believe Kate, Kate Cunningham has potential to be way more than an all-star. 100%. So, so and that, also, that's, that's where my heart is at with that, Sean. Yeah, and to just keep touching on that, man. Um, I think that just sparks a lot of thinking back to um, to – past year's drafts um like when cleveland had the number one pick and selected anthony edwards when anthony bennett um, anthony bennett oh yeah anthony bennett my bad you got anthony edwards stuck in my head anthony bennett right you think of you think of past year's drafts where uh where boston was so content with trading out of the first pick because they knew that they could go get someone better at the third pick you know like yeah. just just to just to your point, um, there are only a couple other situations that I can think of in the past couple of uh, in like the past twenty years where there has been a consensus that is the guy number one pick, right? And to me, those guys were LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and then Blake Griffin. The year that he came out was a consensus number one pick. Yeah, that's about it. If you're in that company, you're in pretty dang good company. Yeah. And now here's the thing. It is not official yet, right? Cade Cunningham is not officially the Detroit Pistons. Um, Troy Weaver, ultimately, whatever happens, they trust him. It's got to be Cade. It has to be Cade. Cade. I just saw this morning, Sean, though. I did see this morning a Detroit sports reporter wrote – he said, I just got special confirmation and heard through a credible source that Troy Weaver does plan on drafting Kate Cunningham with the first pick in the overall and then be a draft. So, you know, I mean, that that could mean anything, but it right. means what we were talking about. It means what we've been saying. Yeah, for sure. And and here's the thing, like, you know, even, even Woj said it that draft night. Um, he said he talked to Troy Weaver and he knows that um, that he's going to be looking at four or five guys and that list starts with Kate Cunningham, you know? And, and the thing is, especially too, it's not only special when you have a number one pick, that's a lock. It's also special when you have a number one pick, that's a lock that really wants to come to your city. Yeah. And, and it has been painful. And Cade Cunningham has made it painfully obvious that he wants to be in Detroit. He's only meeting with one team. He's only talking about going to one place He's only, you know, he's even posting pictures of him in that Pistons uniform. Like when they, on draft night, he, I remember him posting out his stories. Like what y'all think, you know, he, he seems pretty pumped to be going to Detroit. Yeah. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's just exciting. And I think the big thing with that is that he's excited to play in the league, man. 
He mm-hmm. knows his potential. Not that he's arrogant in any way, but he he knows he can make an impact on this league. And I think he looks at a player. I don't know if this is, you know, I'm not, I don't have any sources for this, but I, I think he might look at a player like a Trey Young and 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 look at him and say, he's a point guard too, that knew when Trey Young came into the league, he was very similar, not with the up upside of, of Cade Cunningham, but Trey Young knew he could impact this league. Mm-hmm. Trey, you, Trey Young knew from day one, no matter what team he went to, he was going to impact them. And that's exactly what he did. That, that's what Trey Young is. And I, I, I personally think Cade has a higher upside than, than Trey Young. But, yeah, but what I'm getting too. at is Cade knows that his potential and his stardom and his future as a basketball player is in the National Basketball Association, not in the NCAA. So mm-hmm. that's just where I, I think Cade's head is right now. If he knows he's going to Detroit and he knows that the NBA is the league for him. Yep, 100%, man. And he his sights aren't just on coming in and having a having a decent rookie season. No, his eyes are coming in and he said on he said on JJ Reddick's podcast before the lottery even happened, he's like, "I'm going to be in the playoffs. I'm going to be in the playoffs." And so, you know, on top of that, you know, as of recording tonight, um so, uh there's uh there's been reports and in fact, not just reports, there are pictures of Cade Cunningham is at today's Tigers game. Yep. Um, Cade uh, had a workout today with Detroit, and in, and he's here also to be able to see um, the Texas Rangers play, his hometown team. Um, but also um, with him at the game, at, you know, uh, you know, you don't like this doesn't mean he's the number one pick, but I mean, I don't see you doing this if you're if you're not the number one pick. Um, that in attendance with him is. Head coach Dwayne Casey, general manager Troy Weaver, and small forward Sadiq Bay. You don't bring one of your franchise corner pieces just to a casual game with a guy that you're not going to draft. That's just me. That's not. That's uh. That is just from me following this league for 17 years. Um, you know, doesn't make me an expert, but look. There are few bigger signs that say we are drafting Cade Cunningham than that. Yeah, fact, yeah it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And, and when fact, I looked at Cade Cunningham's story today and I thought he was at Comerica Park, I was like, holy crap, the same park in Detroit? Like he, he's in the Motor <laughs> City? You know what I mean? He hasn't even been drafted yet. So that, my goodness, that shows character. And it's it's so fun, too, knowing before the draft starts who we're going to have. Because how many times in the past 10, 15 years have we had the, the number seven pick, the number eight pick, the number nine pick? And it's kind of the scramble of, okay, so-and-so could be on the board. That'd be amazing. But in mm-hmm. reality, they're not. We're going to end up with so-and-so. And that's exactly what happens. And they have a mediocre rookie year, yada, yada, yada. We missed the playoffs, whatever. But this year, like, man, we know who we're, who we're getting. We mm-hmm. know the talent he has. There's been no draft to even compare this one to as a Pistons fan. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the other thing, too, is that we also never had a young, promising core of all those mm-hmm. draft picks. It's all been, you know, the likes of the Austin Days and the Brandon Knights and the, the Rodney Stuckies and the, and the Henry Allensons, 
Stanley Johnsons, and we could go on and on and on of, of wasted potential disappointments. We don't have to rehash the list of players that we could have had on our team, including Fofkoff, Devin Booker, and Chris Middleton. But also, we can talk about the fact that now that doesn't matter. Because you know what we do have? We have Isaiah Stewart. We have Sadiq Bey. We have Killian Hayes. We're about to have Kate Cunningham on our Detroit Pistons. Yeah, it's exciting because these guys are so young. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I've been seeing so much craziness on Pistons Twitter about our future with Sekou Duboya. And I, I, I'm, I, it doesn't, one, it doesn't matter. But two, he's mm-hmm. also 20 years old, too. And Markeith Morris said, uh, I guess, I don't know when he said this, but it's been resurfacing through retweets on Twitter, um, is um, I guess Markeith Morris said um, in four to five years, Sekou Dimboya will be the centerpiece of that organization. Now, I that's a stretch for me, and that's a stretch for you. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Markeith Morris has been a veteran. He's been teammates with him. That might mm-hmm. be another little core we might, you know, add to that. But well, I don't well, know. This doesn't matter. That's the end of the day. Doesn't matter with him. Well, and here and, and here's the thing. That's here's when have we ever been in a luxury position with with guys that we can say, if he's good, that's a bonus. You know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, come next week, we're gonna have our franchise player. Yep. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is something that we have been searching for. For a long time. Really, since Chauncey Billups. Mm-hmm. Yep. Since Chauncey Billups was traded for uh, for Allen Iverson, we have not yes. had a franchise player. Yes. And uh, come, come July 29th uh, at 8 o'clock, we get to select our first number one overall pick in 51 years and our first number one overall point guard in about 60. So... Um, we have some exciting things coming. Real quick, Troy, uh, what is your what would you what would be your expectations for next season? You think a playing playing game playing spot would be a good expectation? Yeah, I'm not sure about expectation, but goal. That's yeah. my goal is a playing yeah, spot. Be a great Absolutely. goal. Um, I guess I don't know, Sean. I watched. I probably watched eighty to ninety percent of the games this season, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was interesting. I remember talking to you on the phone on draft night and I said, Sean, Sean, what do you expect from this year? And you said, I got two things. One, we're going to be really bad. And two, it's going to be really fun. And I was like, Sean, losing is never fun. What do you mean? He said, Oh, Troy, Oh, Troy, just wait, just wait. And it was so fun. I didn't want to miss a game this season. And I knew we were going to lose, and it was so fun. Mm-hmm. But, but like, what what differentiates that from the past is that Ben Gordon, Charlie Villanueva, you wanted those guys to win, but they just didn't. You fast forward it. Um, Marcus Morris, Contavious Cladwell Pope, uh, Andre Jumman, that squad. You mm-hmm. wanted them to win. They they won a lot. That team pushed in for a playoff spot, but like. They also lost just as much as they won, and mm-hmm. you were heartbroken when they lost. And it just and at the end it of the really day, wasn't fun watching them lose. And the other but thing this. was, yeah. And the other thing was, when those teams when those teams won, it didn't matter. When those teams lost, 
it didn't matter because at the end of the day, it wasn't leading to any progress going forward. Yeah, correct, correct. But, but this team. This team is fun. And this team, you didn't mm-hmm. care the final score of the game. They were that fun. And with, with Cade Cunningham, um, that's what's so tough for me is I don't know how I should cheer for this team next year. Do I do I want them to to tank again and maybe get a top five pick? I don't know. Um, but I think the hype that we've been putting in, not just Troy and Sean, but the hype that Pistons fans and NBA fans, NBA fans, not just Pistons fans, NBA fans have been putting into Cade Cunningham. I think a, a play-in spot is realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do, Troy. I'm going to give you my two things, just like I did last year. I think we're going to be competing for a play-in spot. And I think it's going to be really fun. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, that's what you can expect. Because here's the difference between a team like Detroit and a team like the process 76ers, right? Both teams went in with the intention of playing for lottery luck of getting the opportunity to draft at the top of the draft. Yeah. Right. Both teams went in quote unquote tanking. Yeah. The Philadelphia 76ers went into games each night intending to lose. The Detroit Pistons went in each night intending to get better. Mm Mm-hmm intending to play hard yeah and you know what's coming of that a culture a culture that believes and knows that they can compete with the best of them because we had the highest quality of wins in the nba at one point last season yeah well we beat the los angeles lakers and the brooklyn nets this year sean Mm -hmm. a team of sadiq bay isaiah we beat lebron james we beat james harden think about Mm -hmm. that granted we lost to to yeah. really, really bad teams too. But we beat the really good teams. And there's no way we could have beaten those teams if we didn't play with heart. We didn't play with purpose. We didn't if we didn't play with potential. That's why we won those games. It wasn't it wasn't that we were trying to lose in other in other games. It was it was that we were just trying, like you said, to get better. We didn't care the final score, but like those two instances that I talked about earlier, Los Angeles and Brooklyn. We did play get to get better, and when the buzzer sounded, we looked up at the scoreboard. We won. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: um, how many how many blowouts losses did we have? Not Ooh, many. Barely any. Barely any. Mm-hmm. Whereas there were times when teams that we had that we wanted to make the playoffs lost by forty, by fifty, yep, by thirty. Felt like we were losing by twenty consistently at one point but the difference is if you have a team that's young that's hungry that buys into the system that Dwayne Casey can mold into his liking that Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey have a consistent vision and connection of what they want this team to be going forward and also model it after greatness that Detroit has had in the past the fact that this team is being so closely compared and talked about of how they want to build it to that 0304 Pistons, which in my opinion is the right decision because, you know, yeah, you could say, oh, but what, why not build them like, you know, like the bad boys? Because that's a different era of basketball and a team like that just isn't going to happen again, you know? So building off of that past greatness and that culture of saying, hey, we're going to have a team 
that's going to come in. We're going to work harder than you. We're going to defend. We are going to put everything out there on the court. And even when we're not, even when we're not competing for titles, we're going to work hard and you're not going to have a night off against us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I loved our phone call the other night on the phone. I didn't realize Troy Weaver said this, but you, you brought it to my attention that uh, the Pistons aren't rebuilding, they're restoring. And, mm-hmm. and if you look at what we've, we've always had a point guard at the centerpiece, Isaiah Thomas, Chauncey Billups, we've had a big man. We've had, uh, you know, Bill Ambeer, John Sally, Rick Mahorn, those type of tough guys, big Ben mm-hmm. Wallace, Rashid Wallace. Uh, now we have an Isaiah Stewart, and now we have a Cade Cunningham coming up. So it's we're not in a rebuilding phase. We're, we're bringing back our old culture into today's game with position and, and, and generational talent that we've had in the past using our modern-day culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it is beautiful to watch. We haven't had a star the likes of Grant Hill since Grant Hill in the 90s. We're getting a player that looks the closest to Grant Hill since with the number one pick. And like you and I both know, Cade Cunningham has a higher upside than Grant Hill did. Well, that Grant Hill was because Grant Hill's upside was Michael Jordan at the time. Yeah, yeah. People but... <laughs> were comping to Michael Jordan. It yeah. was crazy. But, I, you know, and, and we can get into this another time. You and I both had some pretty big comps on Cade Cunningham. So. Yeah. Um, we expect a lot of big things out of that young man. We hope that that's who's selected. We expect that that's who select, who's selected. Um, it could also potentially be Jalen Green. I think that is the only other possibility. Um, and I'm not even, I don't even want to talk about trade scenarios for this pick because here's, here's the thing. If you think that Troy Weaver came to Detroit work to get the number one pick to finally get it for the franchise for the first time in 51 years that he is going to seriously entertain a trade for that pick you are out of your mind he would be fired on the spot that is not happening and we're getting Kate Cunningham I am that confident but you never know it depends if, if he loves Jalen Green's upside, if he, if he likes Evan Mobley, that's like the 0.05% chance. But ultimately, we're drafting Kate Cunningham. So yeah. there's a lot of things to look forward to, and there's a lot that we're going to be able to talk about coming up. But for tonight, for this episode, that is going to do it from Half Court. Thank you so much for tuning in, Troy. Thank you for joining this journey with me. Thank you for recording with me. Thank you for wanting to do this with me each and every week. Where can people find you on Twitter again? Troy Sergi 44. Heck yeah. And you can find me at Shawnee West 255. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next week from Half Court. 